Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett coming to you on the Monday broadcast and hope that your week is off to a great start. We're in a brand new year with some great opportunities to see God do mighty things. Now, listen, I've got a really bad dad joke for you today, but hopefully it will get you in the right frame of reference as you prepare to hear the word of God today. Well, what is the best Christmas present? What is the best Christmas present? A broken drum. Yeah, you just can't beat it. So uh, that's really bad. I know that's really bad. Uh, Hopefully the rest of the message will be much better than that dad joke, okay? Well, today I want to talk to you on a very important subject that I'm entitling the message today, Christmas Presents from the Garden of Eden. And we think about the Garden of Eden, that's where humanity all began. So let's read Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The Bible says that the Lord God spoke to the serpent and said, Because you have done this, you will be cursed more than all of the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and between the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Well, you know, we are living in crazy days as this virus continues to spread The New York Times headline says this, Across the world, COVID anxiety and depression take hold. The article quotes our French epidemiologist and says, We no longer know when we will get back to normal. Ah, This is terrible, right? We no longer know when we're going to get back to normal, if we're going to get back to normal. Well, why is this? Why does it seem we go from one crisis to another crisis? Well, because of Sin. It's the curse of sin. Now, many Christians will be surprised and perhaps even disappointed to learn that one of their favorite Christmas carols, Joy to the World, is not actually a Christmas carol at all. The famed hymn writer Isaac Watts published Joy to the World way back there in 1719. Millions of Christians sing this great hymn at Christmas, celebrating the great news of the incarnation and declaring, Let earth receive her king. One of the lines on this Christmas carol goes, let every heart prepare him room and heaven and angels sing. Well, you know, at Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation of Christ and the coming of Jesus in Bethlehem, but joy to the world, though sung rightly and triumphantly at Christmas, is really about the second coming of Christ. What's led in the development of hymns in the English tradition, drawing many of his hymn texts directly from the book of Psalms. Joy to the World is based upon Psalm 98, which declares the century's creation will have joy when the Lord comes to rule and to judge. Well, Jesus, when he came the first time, did not come to rule and judge. He says, I didn't come to conquer. He says, I've come to offer my life as a ransom. He came to die, not to rule and reign. So when we sing joy to the world, the Lord has come, it applies to the second coming of Christ. It's not talking about his first coming to Bethlehem when he came as a baby. It's talking about the fact that he's coming again. Joy to the world. Now think about this hymn with me, will you? As we think about the fact that the promises that were given at his second coming is this, no more that sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. 
He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And then the hymn writer repeats that, far as the curse is found. You know, the reversal of the curse is promised in the coming of the Messiah and the fulfillment of his atoning work. Implicit in this third verse is the promise of the new creation. We live in the light of that promise, even as we look back to Bethlehem and as we celebrate this Christmas season. But look carefully at the reference to the curse. Going back to Genesis chapter 3, the curse was given. There's going to be enmity between the serpent and the woman. As a matter of fact, all of the curse was going to fall on humanity. Uh, Many of you know I serve as chaplain at Indian Creek Correctional Center. And uh, not too long ago, one of the officers accidentally slipped out a curse word, okay? And then uh, this officer says, oh, oh, sorry, chap. I didn't know you were here. And I said to this particular officer, I said, oh, it's okay. Uh, Don't worry about that. I completely understand. And then I asked this person a question. I said, do you know why we curse? I mean, we all from time to time, I will say a curse word and and, and it kind of slips out sometimes, right? You got a hammer and you hit your thumb with that hammer and out can sometimes slip a word that you ought not to say. Now, why do we do that? Now, the reason we curse is because all of us are under a curse. We have a sinful nature. You know, we basically sin because of two reasons. Number one, we have a sinful nature. David said in sin, did my mother conceive me? You see, we inherited a sinful nature. Oh, we inherited a lot from our mom and dad. We inherited the skin tone, our eye color. Uh, we inherited their looks. Uh, we inherited some of their personalities, some of their characteristics. Although we're not a, an exact replica of our parents, uh, we inherited an awful lot from them. And one of the things we inherited from them was we inherited the curse. Sin. You see, we inherit this sinful nature. That's why we sin because it's part of our nature. Sometimes people say, well, I'm just born this way, and that's why I do the wrong thing. Well, there's some truth to that. You were born in sin and iniquity, but we also sin because we make the choice to sin. When we think about that curse, that curse gave us a sinful nature, but that curse also separates us from God. As far as the curse is found, is used in joy to the world. Well, what's that curse talking about? How far does it extend? Where is it found? We find that in Genesis chapter 3, that that curse was given to all of humanity at the moment they ate of that forbidden tree. For Adam and Eve, when they ate of that tree, they found themselves facing the reality of their sin. Now, the Bible says that this curse is something that is inherited in humanity but it affects all of creation. Now, we could talk more and more about the curse, but I think it's pretty self-evident that we are under a curse. That sin that Adam brought into humanity has been passed on from one person to the next person. Now, when we think about this curse, where is this curse found? Well, it's found everywhere we look. We look to the curse and we see its effects everywhere. It extends to every atom and every molecule of creation, from coast to coast, from shore to shore, from sky to sky, to every square inch of the planet. That's how far the curse is found. Most importantly, every single being is found under this curse. Romans 3.23 says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. Well, that word all is pretty inclusive. I had a seminary professor who used to always like to give us the definition of all. He says, all means all, all the time, and that's all all means. That means everybody. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how can we sing joy to the world when we realize we're under a curse? Well, I've got some really, really good news for you today. In Galatians chapter 3, we discover the antidote to the curse that we are born into. Beginning at verse number 10, Paul writes these very powerful words. He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For as it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all the things that are written in the law and do them. So let's stop there for just a moment. Paul points this picture to us And he says, if we try to release ourselves from the curse by keeping the law, the law actually makes us more under the curse because we have more knowledge of the curse. It's kind of like going down the highway and you go past the speed limit. How do you know you have gone past the speed limit? Because the law says the speed limit is 55 or 65. Whatever is posted, whatever the law says, when you go past it, you realize you're under the curse of that law, because it's broken. Now, if nobody set the speed limit, there will be no curse when you break that law because the law wasn't established. Here, Paul is saying, because this law has been established, we are under a curse. He says that we cannot be justified by the law. He continues on by saying, the righteous, however, live by faith. But the law is not of faith, Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And then this next verse is so encouraging. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For as it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, this is some good stuff when you think about it. We have received this curse because we have sinned, but Christ takes that sin upon himself. He becomes cursed by hanging on a tree. In other words, his death on that cross paid for our sins. Now, we think about this curse, and we try to do a whole lot of things in our lives to be comforted in our times of curse. Do you know why we have sickness? Do you know why we have so much conflict? Why there is so much mayhem in our lives? It's because even creation is under a curse. You know, from time to time, we may get a little comfort in the midst of the curse. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 5, we read the story of Noah. Now, Noah was a great man of God, a great man of faith, and he was given this unbelievable task to build this huge ark because God was going to destroy the earth and all the inhabitants. Only Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives were saved from the flood. Nobody wanted to listen to the message of Noah. Uh, The name Noah means one who comforts us, one who gives us comfort in the midst of a curse. Now, we know this is true from Genesis 5.29, because it says, He will call his name Noah, 
And Noah said he will comfort us in the labor and the painful toil of our hands caused by the ground that the Lord has cursed. Now, sometimes God raises up things like people and and God raises up events to bring comfort to us in our midst of the curse, but they cannot eradicate the curse. It's kind of like taking an aspirin for a headache or taking some ibuprofen for a toothache. Those things are great for alleviating the pain, but you got to go there and you got to figure out what is causing the pain in my tooth. What is causing this headache? You know, this week I had to go to the dentist and I'm not a big fan of going to the dentist. And uh, as I went to the dentist uh, two weeks ago, uh, they fixed a cavity uh, that uh, one of uh, my fillings had popped out. And, and uh, so they got that fixed and, and I was still having some pain. And they said, well, uh, we fixed one tooth, but that wasn't the right tooth that was really causing you all this pain. It was the truth next to that. And they had to do a root canal. Now, I tell you what, A root canal is not a pleasant thing to endure. Maybe you've had one yourself, and you know that the pain of having an infective tooth uh, where those nerve endings become raw, boy, I tell you what, it was painful. And so I was popping what I call vitamin I. You say, what in the world is vitamin I? Vitamin I is ibuprofen. I was popping ibuprofen to back off the pain from that tooth. And it finally got to the point, I said, man, I can't be taking all this ibuprofen. Uh, It's going to cause me other problems with my stomach and everything else. And so finally I says, listen, I've got to go ahead and have this root canal. And I was not looking forward to that. And so I got a bunch of people praying for me. And I says, hey, would you pray for me that that I won't be a a coward? And uh, I just don't like uh, having people in my face. I battle claustrophobia. And I just don't like people in my face and getting close to me. And uh, and I don't like pain either, okay? But I just realized I need to have some hope to get through this root canal. You know what got me through the root canal? God's people praying for me. And the hope that I was going to be uh, relieved from the pain that I was suffering. The pain was getting unbearable. And so as I'm sitting there in that dentist chair's office, he says, it's going to be about an hour and a half, maybe two hours to get this thing done. And I just remained hopeful. I says, you know what I'm looking at? I'm looking at the relief I'm going to experience when I finally get that root canal over with. You know, they, they, they send these things uh, into the root of your teeth and, and they kind of like file off the nerve endings and they get the whole thing cleaned out and then they pack it up uh, with some rubberized substance and they put a, a, a filling back in there. And, uh, you know, I felt instant relief. That pain was gone because I finally dealt with the problem. You know, when Christ was on the cross, I love this. How did he endure that pain of the cross? Well, the Bible says that he looked beyond the cross and he looked to his home in heaven and he looked to the work of redemption that he was about to accomplish. It was the hope of the future that got him through the present. And the same is true in our lives. The blessed hope of what God is going to do in the future gives us the ability to hang in there in the present. You know, once my root canal was done, I didn't need any more hope. I needed a hope while they were drilling on that tooth. And as they were going on there and filing those nerve endings, uh, that's what I needed, some hope. And I had that hope looking to the future. The future would be relief from my pain. You know, the future of our curses is, is that we realize that God has sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And he died upon that cross for us. And when we put our confidence in him, he will set us free from the curse. Now, listen, when you think about your life, one day we're going to die. The Bible talks about two 
different types of death. Now, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have to experience both deaths. You might experience one, but you don't have to experience both of them. The first death that the curse lifts us from is the curse of spiritual death. That is the curse that is on our soul because of sin that causes us to die spiritually. Spiritual death is being eternally separated from God. So spiritual death is what God came along to say, I'm going to redeem you from that curse. The physical death. Now, we may not experience physical death. Now, if you're going to be around when the rapture of the church takes place, and I tell people often, you know, I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. I believe the rapture of the church could happen at any moment, and we may be that terminal generation that is alive during the rapture of the church. Now, if I'm not alive during the rapture of the church, I will experience physical death. I promise you, I will not be here 50 years from now. I probably won't be here 40 years from now. Well, maybe I will, but I I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to make it to quite to be 100 years old. Uh, so I probably won't be here in 40 years. I'll be, I'll be 96 years old. Uh, well, I may or may not be here at that age, but I probably won't be here at 50 years from now. Why? Because I will experience physical death. My physical body will stop functioning. My heart will start pumping and I will physically die. But I want you to know when I physically die, I'll be more alive than ever because the spirit, the real part of me, will be raised up in heaven. Paul put it this way, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When I experience physical death, I'm really going to be starting to live because I'm going to live forever in heaven. So the two deaths are the physical death and the spiritual death. God sent his son so that we would never have to experience spiritual death. That curse is lifted. Well, that's a great Christmas gift when you think about it. The curse of sin has been lifted, all made possible because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, there's something else that we must understand when it comes to the full meaning of Christmas, and that is the conflict of sin. God declared that conflict would exist between Satan and humanity. To resolve this conflict, repentance is necessary. Repentance of your sin your selfishness, and then humble yourselves before the Lord. Now, to resolve conflicts, you must look at your motives. You must judge your motives. And we look at the book of James, for example, that gives us this antidote to being able to discover how can I eradicate conflict from my my life. And to resolve conflicts, you turn from your spiritual adultery and you humbly ask God for his grace. To resolve conflicts, you must submit to God Resist the devil and repent of your sins. Now, I think about conflict, and and so many times we think, well, all conflict is bad. But you know, sometimes conflict is good because it awakens us to an issue that must be addressed. Now, Denzel Washington, he starred in The Tragedy of Macbeth, which opened on Christmas Day uh, in the year of 2021. In an interview with the New York Times columnist Maureen Dowd, this son of a Pentecostal minister said he asked himself this question, what I do, what I make, what I made, all of that, is that going to help me on the last day of my life? You see, it's all about who have you lifted up? 
Who have you made better? He explains, this is spiritual warfare. So I'm not looking at it from an earthly perspective. If you don't have a spiritual anchor, you'll be easily blown by the wind and you'll be led to desperation and depression. Now, what is he saying? Denzel Washington is saying that we have conflict in our lives because of spiritual battles that are taking place. And if we only rest upon everything that we can do, we are going to be finding ourselves in the state of depression. He says our job ought to be exercising this ministry of reconciliation. You know, when you got saved, God has given you a wonderful ministry, and it's called reconciliation. It is helping to resolve conflict between each other and between God. So if you want to have some success in your life in resolving conflict, Jesus gave us a tremendous antidote in Matthew chapter 18. We are told that when we have a conflict with somebody, somebody has become an offense to us, Jesus says you should go to that person. Now, there's a lot of things that you got to do to prepare yourself before you confront somebody with an issue of sin. First of all, Jesus says, you know, you ought to look at your own life and you ought to remove that plank from your own eye first before you try to remove that little splinter from the eye of your brother. So the first thing that I want to encourage you to do when you want to resolve conflict with a brother or sister in Christ or a family member is you want to look at your own life and say, now, wait a minute, is this conflict that I'm having is really more about my selfishness or is this a legitimate offense that I must confront in the life of somebody else? I've discovered many times that my conflict with somebody else is really my own issues my own issues of selfishness, my own issues of pride. And so I said, Lord, would you do some inventory in me first? Would you allow your spirit to convict me of my sins first so that I can remove this plank out of my own eye, get this big old telephone pole out of my own eye, and then I can more clearly see the speck that's in my brother's eyes. Paul even gave us an extra layer of protection when it comes to the matter of confronting somebody. In Galatians 6, he says, You who are spiritual, consider yourself, lest you also fall. You who are spiritual should confront those who are the wayward brother, those who are the weaker brother, those who are the erring brother. But you must consider yourself, because if you don't, pride can come in and you'll also fall. So instead of talking about somebody to somebody else, talk to that person that you have the conflict with. That's the first step. Matthew 18, 15, Jesus says, you go to your brother and you explain to him the offense. And if he acknowledges that offense and repents of it, you've gained a brother. Well, what if it doesn't work out so well? And what if that brother says, hey, you know what? I think you're crazy. You've lost your mind. I'm not going to repent of anything. I've not done anything wrong. Well, if it's a legitimate offense, you're going to go get another brother or sister in Christ, and you're going to come back, and you're going to address this matter a second time. And then Jesus says, if that brother or if that sister hears you, and you've won them over, and uh, the situation is over with, you've forgiven them, and, uh, and you go on. But if he doesn't hear you, there's a third step, that you bring it before the church. 
Now, as we look at that third step, that's called church discipline. And a lot of churches don't want to talk about church discipline. As a matter of fact, that whole subject of the church discipline is just about as welcoming as a ham sandwich in a Jewish synagogue. I tell you, a lot of people don't want to talk about that, right? Uh, they just soon go on and kind of pretend there's no problem. But you know, God wants the church to be pure. God wants sins to be confessed. God wants us to repent and be reconciled. So we should be exercising this ministry of reconciliation, reconciling one person with another person. That is our job. Well, I hope that you will join me tomorrow for the broadcast at the same time. I'm going to give you part two of the true meaning of Christmas. We've talked about the curse today, how because of Christ, we are lifted off that curse of sin we discovered also today that we're going to be set free from the conflicts that we have because of sin. And we've got some other things we're going to cover tomorrow. We're going to talk about the consequences of sin. And then we're going to wrap up our time talking about how we can overcome the consequences of sin and how sometimes God leaves consequences in place, but there's no eternal consequences for sin. So I hope you join me tomorrow. Now, listen, if I can help you with anything, please feel free to give me a call. You can shoot me a text. Uh, My number is 252-267-2365. And if you just shoot me a a text message or leave me a voicemail, I'll get back to you just as quick as I can. So I am so thankful that you joined us today for the broadcast. As we begin this brand new year, I pray that you will hide God's word in your heart so that you will not sin against God. Well, thank you so much for listening today. God bless you. I'm praying for you. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. Have a wonderful evening. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We would love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.